0: good morning everyone how are you guys good yeah happy sunday happy fall happy scrape your windows feels like winnipeg day it's good to be out there for that uh my name is chris damani i'm the lead pastor for village church surrey and uh we finished the series, Anything Goes, and in that series, we obviously tackled a whole bunch of big questions, and there were questions that uh, everybody kind of voted on, sent things in, and there were really controversial topics, like big topics, ones that are easy for us to fall on different sides of the fence on as people, just as Christians even, and as we get into the text and try and realize what the authority says about it, we get caught up in a whole bunch of different things of what does it mean, uh, what, what do we do with that, how do we answer this, how do we apply these things that we believe, and what does that look like for us as a church and as a community, um, and it's it's really easy for those kind of things to divide us. For anything that we go through, anything we discuss and talk about around big issues, um it's easy for us to be divided by it. They're kind of the issues you don't normally want to walk into unless someone else is going to answer your way for you and then you're excited to support it. But as soon as something goes a little sideways from what you would believe, it starts to get divisive. And I think the Christian church, I mean, uh, and I've recognized this being raised in the Christian church. I've seen this a lot. I've seen churches split over big issues. I've seen all these different difficult conversations, relationships melt apart and fall down because people have different opinions on what something says or what to believe or how to apply it. And we should be seeking for objective truth, but I think some of us just get so excited about the things that we're different about and love to fight and love to argue and love to cause division, and it gets into this place where it's really unhealthy. It's like the new Kanye West album comes out, Jesus is King, some of you have been rapping to that all week, and some of you don't love it and and it causes this division of what the church should look like and how Christian is that person and what does that actually mean and it's not really a great reflection to the outside world a bunch of people who aren't Christians some of you in here may not believe in Jesus or follow Jesus or might be wondering what this whole thing is about and it's not a great witness, meaning it's not a great example of what God calls our church to. He actually calls us to unity in a whole bunch of different things. He calls us to unity about how we love one another. He says, hey, love one another, serve one another, before one another, be with one another in different ways so that we can support each other and then we come to this place where we get around these issues and we divide and we divide and we argue and we infight and it gets really messy and I want to encourage you to do the opposite. I actually want us for today to go into the book of John, so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, we put Bibles at the doors in the entrance to every single entrance into this auditorium, and we put them there for you. I mean, not just for you to take and not read and to throw into your bookshelf so it gets filled up um, because you have so many other papers and stacks in there. But the actual ones that you can keep and read and hold on to. And the reason we want to go to John is because John just paints this really beautiful picture of who Jesus is and gives us the character of Jesus because that's the biggest question. The biggest unifying question in the church is what is the gospel meaning? What is the good news meaning? What has Jesus accomplished? Who is God? What has he accomplished? And what does he want us to do with our lives? And those are the things that should unify us. So if there's things dividing us, sometimes we need to look past the secondary issues and move to the main issue, which is who is Jesus and what has he accomplished? And in John chapter four, we see this really unique individual account of what Jesus has done, of, uh, where, where he kind of talks to this one woman at this well, and we see how he treats somebody. And in this moment, just like a whole bunch of the moments in John, John's this beautiful book, okay? If you don't read your Bible often, or if you really haven't ever started, I often encourage people, I say, hey, start in the book of John, because John has this beautiful uh, layout of Jesus' life. It's a look into the life and ministry of who Jesus is and his time here on earth. And it gives you a real picture of these individual conversations that Jesus has with people. It's really intimate. It's an intimate view into how he acts and how he functions. And in that, we see the character of God on display. And then we see the character of God through the life of Jesus. And that's something I think we need to learn from because it helps us in our individual interactions with Jesus as well. So let me give you a bit of the setting as you walk through it, just so you understand what's happening, but I'll read through the text and kind of give you that as we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the the Pharisees that had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So Judea is in the south, Galilee's in the north, and there's this place in the middle called Samaria. And Samaria is a place that nobody wants to go. Like, Samaria is the place you avoid. They'd often travel from Judea to Galilee, the Jewish people would, because those two places, those two regions were predominantly Jewish, but the middle, Samaria, was this syncretistic, stick to syncretistic mishmash of people that they often wanted to avoid it was like they were avoided like they were the plague um I get to travel with Mark once in a while When he goes speaking And he went speaking in Nashville this one time And Nashville's a really cool spot But there's a lot of not really cool spots Around Nashville That are really culturally unique So we're driving uh, to this place called Okoe, Which is like two and a half hours Southeast of Nashville And as we're driving The craziest cultural shock changed Okay, it went from like this cool music scene Where everything's trendy and hip To this crazy backwoods like Dirty south Nashville experience You'd like outside of Nashville experience you'd I think you'd appreciate And you drive through and there's guys like waving Confederate flags and we're driving down the highway and there's dudes sitting on the side of the road like shooting fireworks at cars, chugging like Paps Blue Ribbon, like bring back NASCAR a year long. You know, like this is like, it was the craziest experience. And I was like, man, this is a place you'd never want to go. If we weren't going to actually like speak, if Mark wasn't going to speak there and I wasn't traveling with him, I wouldn't want to go through this road to Okoe. It wasn't a cultural place you'd want to go. And yet in the text, we see that Jesus said he went through there, that he had to, that he actually passed through Samaria and he came to this. Cat town of Samaria called Sekar, in the field near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And the sixth hour is noon, and this is important. So Jesus is hot and tired from his journey. Okay, he was fully human. He's fully God and fully human in his humanity. He was tired. He goes to sit down next to this well. And there's something we should recognize in this story. So Jewish readers, historically, if you... um. We kind of know how stories go, right? You think of like a romantic comedy or a love story. You you know the story, right? You know the timeline of the story. This unlikely guy is gonna fall in love with this beautiful girl, and there's gonna be something from his past, and that or a relationship or something's gonna happen, and you know that thing's gonna break them up for a period about three quarters of the way through the movie, and your heart's gonna flutter, and you're gonna hope they get back together, but you know they will, and ultimately he he makes up for it, or she gets over it, or whatever it is, and they end up back together. It's this common story. You know something's gonna be answered at a certain point, right? You can tell when the when the climax is coming. To a point you know something's going to happen. It's the same thing in this. Every time the Jewish people, every time you see a well in the Bible, a well story, something happens at a well when they note that the people are coming to a well, you know that it's actually answering this larger picture and the Jewish people knew it's answering a larger picture of the restorative narrative of what God is doing to redeem his people. Okay, it's these Jewish people. If you look back in Genesis chapter 24, in Genesis 29, okay, you have Abraham, you have Jacob, you have these questions of lineage where God has said through your lineage I'm going to redeem my people and it looks like Abraham isn't going to lineage and then he meets at a well and the answer comes oh this is how God's gonna restore his people there's an answer coming same thing in 29 with Jacob how's the lineage gonna happen oh it's at a well this is where this is gonna be redeemed same thing happens with Moses he kills a guy in Egypt flees and you think that God's people in the redemption story for his history is all over the heroes running away from something from this thing and then he ends up at a well And you hear for this moment, you're like, ah, the story's about to change and redemption is coming. And here we have Jesus at a well. And the larger picture is, if Jesus in this is the first year of his ministry, if he's in this place, he's going on a journey, he's tired, he's walking away from Pharisees who he's sick of dealing with, and he ends up in this place in Samaria, a place a Jewish person should not be, in the middle of it, sits down at a well, you're saying, hey, there's going to be something here for us to learn about the redemptive story of who God is and how we can be saved through it. And it continues, this woman... A woman from Samaria came to draw water. It was 12 p.m. It was 12 in the afternoon. You have to recognize that this is not when people naturally just went to get water. So it tells us a little bit about who this woman is. Gives us a little bit about her background, about who she is. The the actual, uh, the time people would go, the well itself in the culture was kind of like a coffee shop, okay? If any of you from small towns in Canada, you have like usually a Tim Hortons that's like the cultural hub of that small town. And you go there and you can catch up on the things that are happening, kind of the gossip of the town. Like this is where people go and chat and talk. But outcasts wouldn't normally go to the well with everybody else. Normally you go to the well in the morning, when it's cooler in the day, not in the middle of the day, when it's super hot, the sun's out, it's hot, it's the middle, you know, it's by the Mediterranean Sea, it's not like a kind place out in the heat. But this woman is going at noon. So what does that tell us about her? Tells us that she's actually not part of the normal community of people that are there. We're going to learn why in a little bit. And then Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman came to him and said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? She has this big question. She says, this is not normal for you to be talking to me right now. In the culture, it wasn't normal for a man to be talking to a woman. In fact, let alone a religious man. There were actually these... um, in the time, there were these Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And they were bruised and bleeding because every time they saw a woman to try and like, escape lusts and all those things, they would literally close their eyes, put their head down, and walk as fast as they could. And they would like, run into buildings and animals and get hurt. Like This isn't a joke. It's real. That's crazy. You know, like we create boundaries sometimes. You know, like in our lives where it's like, oh man, like, like I personally like just to try and make sure I'm in check. Like, if I travel with something, I'm traveling with somebody. Um, I don't spend time with a woman one on one outside of time with my wife, obviously. Like, even to the point where it's like I won't get on an elevator sometimes with a woman because I've watched Grey's Anatomy, and I know what can happen in an elevator. Uh, and so. There's this moment where she said, hey, what are you doing talking to me? What are you doing talking to me? Why, a Jew wouldn't talk to a Samaritan, a, a, a religious leader, a man wouldn't talk to a woman. There's something strange here. But Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, I have nothing to draw. You have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. The well was like 200 feet deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from him himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. There's this thing, uh, this offer of living water it's, it's a bigger metaphor and picture of what's happening at the well. This woman is going to great lengths to hide um, who she is. She's going to great lengths to stay away from the community. She's going to great lengths to try and find uh, this thing that's that's giving her uh, and and, and satisfying this thirst in her life. And some of us in our own lives are going through incredible lengths to try and satisfy ourselves, apart from Jesus, running to every which thing we possibly could to try and give our lives fulfillment and purpose and meaning. And we're finding that it's just this awful return of short satisfaction, of short gain, of short immediate gratification, where we're just running to it and it fulfills us for an instant and it satisfies for an instant but it doesn't satisfy us for long term and maybe you're running into this maybe there's things that you comfort your life with maybe it's things like substance abuse or alcohol maybe it's things like lust and sexuality maybe it's things like experiences or achievement maybe it's things like success and education maybe it's things like family and relationship it could be anything there's all these things that we identify ourselves as the primary things we should be striving for in life and a lot of times if your parents you tend to project these things on your kids you try and give them every single I see this like I'm a young adult man who in the community has young children we have three kids, we have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. And we're always thinking like how can we give them the best life and best experience of life possible and maybe you're doing this maybe you're doing this with adult children where you're saying man I just want my kid to get married every conversation I have with them I'm like hey when are you gonna get married or, or if they're married I want them to have kids when are you gonna have kids because we start pushing this thing on them where we're saying this is what's going to give you satisfaction this is going to give you a different level of engagement with the world this experience will be valuable for you then we try it's like it comes from a really good place where we're saying hey we're pushing something on them pushing something and we want them to experience something for young kids it could be like sporting events where it's like, man, I want my kids to experience team sports, and I think that's good for them, or I want them to have a good school experience, or I want them to go to every single school's Halloween spooky dance and everything they have just because I want them to experience good friendships. I want them to have sleepovers and nostalgia and things like I did. I want them to watch good, wholesome shows. I want them to, to, to fall in love with Mr. Rogers. You know, like There's all these things that we might have and things that we might want for somebody, and we make them the ultimate. And then in a negative way, we run the same thing with our sin, and we say, hey, this is what will fulfill you. This is what will fulfill you. And our culture is filled with that. It's always preaching at you. And yet Jesus is saying there's something different. There's something bigger. There's something deeper. And this water is what will satisfy you, this living water that he offers. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband to come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. But Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. So Jesus is getting real. He's never met this woman before, but supernaturally, like he knows her whole life. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation comes from the Jews. This is Jesus starting to pull this place of, of, of There's a, there's a remedy coming for your soul. There's something different for this like this this life that you're living. She comes with a half truth. She says she says go to listen to how Jesus responds to her. Go call your husband and come here. And he, he starts to lend to what he already knows. And she says I have no husband. She gives this half lie. I have no husband. She doesn't go into the depths of what her reality is in her relationship. She doesn't go into the depths of what she's been through. She get deep in saying, yeah, I've had other husbands, but now the one I'm with isn't my husband, and I'm getting water for this guy who doesn't appreciate me, and I have to stay away from my community because of the life I lived, and I deal with a lot of remorse and regret and shame and guilt for what I'm doing, and she doesn't live, she doesn't speak that out to Jesus, but then Jesus calls it in on her, and it's this thing saying, hey, this living water that Jesus wants to give you in in your life isn't satisfied by just the surface level, I'm okay answers. It wants to go deeper, and some of us even sit in this room as Christians or as non-Christians where we've never met Jesus, and we can pull up this thing where we're saying, no, I'm good, because I have enough experiences, or I have enough friends, or maybe if I just had this one other thing, I'd be okay, but I'm good enough, and Jesus says, no, that's not good enough, and water's a the perfect analogy for this, because water has this tendency to go to the very lowest point in anywhere that is rushing. Okay, listen to this. My anniversary uh, was this last week, okay? October 22nd, 14 years with my wife, Mercedes. Incredible. I was hoping you'd clap, so I waited. Okay, listen. 14 years with Mercedes together, okay, we had our anniversary, and I had said, we're in this process, okay, we, we just bought our first home, we've been in a basement suite for the last six and a half years, got this little 31-year-old townhome in Langley, and um, we ended up picking up, So, but we went into the home, knowing there are a couple issues with it, but what I hear from homeowners is it's just normal to find out there's more than just a few issues when you step into the thing, so um, I went into one, found out, uh, we knew that one toilet wasn't working, and I went and tried this other toilet, and uh, and, and I, when I flushed it, the tank like flooded into the bowl in a different way, and everything was broken, so I'm like, like, well, I'm no plumber, but I'm sure I can fix this. Um, so- I went to Home Depot with a friend who said he worked on toilets, and his thing was, toilets are easy. That's what he told me. Toilets are easy. I said, well, great. We can do it. Toilets are easy. Um, so I went, we went, and we, like, basically got this package that you can replace the guts of the toilet with, okay? So we went, and we took the toilet apart, and we put all the plugs and everything back in, and we checked it, and nothing was leaking, um, and everything looked good, and uh, and I, had, before this day, okay, this was the, to the 21st, so before the, that was the next day was my anniversary, and I told Mercedes, babe, I got something planned. Like, don't worry about it. We're going to spend our anniversary together. It's going to be amazing. Uh, she's like, yeah, don't, don't buy anything. You know, things are all expensive right now at this time of life. I said, totally. I said, but don't worry. I'm going to set something up. And my plan was to like set up in the new home, like a candlelit dinner, you know, like sure, some renovations, but it was going to be romantic, right? You guys can picture it, right? It sounds like a good plan. So I said, so the night before, I'm working on this toilet with this guy, and uh, I, I go, um, uh, when we went to home, we came back and there was a little bit of water on the floor. I'm like, oh, well, that's strange. Okay. But then we fixed everything. We put it all back together. And then we ended up, uh, So and then that was it for the night. So we shut it down and I turned the, the water valve off on the bottom of the tank so the water wasn't running through. We flushed the toilet so that the toilet was empty, all that kind of stuff. And I said, great, this looks good. Ready to go. Went home. I thought, you know what? Just because there was some water on the floor, the next morning, like I should just stop by and check. I should stop by and check to see what happens. And so I go in and I have this moment because there's like this anxiety that I've been thinking about overnight. What if it's a, like, what if I didn't do a great job on this thing? What's going to happen? And before I walked into the house, I held the doorknob and I prayed. You ever have that last minute prayer where you're like, I like put my hand on the house. <laughs> Father God, you know, I've been faithful. You know, I am, uh, I do the best I can. I'm not perfect, but man, I try hard. Would it just be dry in there? In Jesus Christ of Nazareth's name, (laughs) would it be dry in this house? I'm not serious. I actually had this prayer moment. I I, I am serious. I I open up the door, and sure enough, I'm on the main floor. It's a two-floor townhome, and there's water dripping through the ceiling at multiple points. There's stains like every which way, and I don't know what to do. I have no idea. So I call my buddy who's a plumber and he's like, I can't make it. <laughs> I'm like, well, tell me someone who can. So I call this other guy and uh, he comes over and, and it's like the, the, the valve on the tank over the last 31 years, I guess all the actual like rubber inside it eroded. So all it was doing all night long was pumping water into the tank. And then the new pump that we installed, it wasn't working. It was broken. So it was the perfect two pieces together that didn't let it stop filling up the tank and the tank just overflowed all night long into them. Uh, so I learned something that day because I, when I was on the phone with my plumber buddy, I'm like, okay, I know the source of the leak. It's a one toilet that's right here, but why is like my whole ceiling, all of these different spots and drips? And he says, because water always finds the lowest point. Water always finds the lowest point. And this living water that Jesus is offering to this woman isn't satisfied with the surface-level, top-level stuff that's saying you're okay. It wants to find the lowest point. And he doesn't want to find the lowest point. He wants to work through all your cracks. He doesn't want to find the lowest point just because he, so he can condemn you or give you guilt. It's because he wants to heal you. It's because he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to get to that lowest point. Listen to this. But the hour is coming and is now here, this is verse 23 as we continue, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking, the Father, circle that word seeking, the Father is seeking such people to worship him, the Father is seeking, Jesus did not unintentionally come through Samaria, he came through Samaria to that well at that time for this woman, because he's intentionally seeking a relationship with her, you are not in this room by mistake, Jesus is intentionally seeking relationship with you, for some of you he's seeking a deeper relationship than you've ever Ever had before, and for some of you seeking relationship with you for the very first time, he's saying there are things in your life that you were trying to fulfill through all the wrong wells, through all the wrong things. And he's saying, man, you're, see- you're seeking, you're going after like relationship because you think it's going to make you happy. You want a new job because you think it's going to make you happy. You want a bigger house because you think it's going to make you happy. You want a new car because you think it's going to make you happy. It's not going to make you happy. You know that because you've done this before. What happened when you got that bigger house? You wanted to fill it with nicer things, and then you wanted something nicer. What happened when you got that new car? It got old, and you wanted something better. What happened when you got that relationship? You realized that some of that other person wasn't perfect, and all the red flags you ignored, and you got into and now you're just wishing you were single again. Because every person in a bad relationship ends up wishing they were single if it's that bad. The water wants to find the lowest point. God is seeking such people to worship him because he knows what they actually need. And this is the answer for us in this. In whatever you're going through in this room, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the very first moment in the gospel of John. Even though John the Baptist proclaimed who Jesus was as the Messiah, the disciples proclaimed who Jesus was as the Messiah, this is the first time that Jesus himself says, I am he. That Messiah that you're talking about who's gonna come and save me, that savior who's coming who's gonna come save me. I am he. The person who's going to save your marriage as on the rocks and things aren't working out, Jesus says to you, I am he. Who's going to save you and give you comfort in the midst of your disease and your sickness and the things that are happening that you cannot control? I am he. Who's going to save your kids who don't know Jesus that tears your heart up every day and you're praying for them? Who's going to save them? Jesus says, I am he. Who's going to save you from the anxiety of trying to move your family into a house and the plumbing goes all wrong and the little things that you can't can't happen in the middle of your life? Jesus says, I am he. Whatever your are going through in your life in this moment, you have to recognize that Jesus is saying to you, I am he, I am the salvation, I am the savior. And how did he do it? He accomplished it on the cross that Jesus two years from this point, from this story goes to the cross and hangs on the cross and takes on all the sin and shame and guilt, absolutely innocent dies on the cross for who? For people like this woman, people who don't have it together, people like you or me. And the beautiful thing is if this woman was the only person in all of existence in all of history, Jesus still would have went to the cross to die for her because that's who he is because that's how God works because God is seeking people to worship him he's not waiting on us to figure it out in fact he's coming to us in the midst of us trying to figure it out in different ways and saying I am he I'm the one who's going to save you from yourself in the midst of this just then the disciples came back verse 27 they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? I mean, Jesus was always blowing things up. He's always doing things differently. Listen to the woman's response to this. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. This Can this be the Christ? She dropped everything she had the water jar she was using to fill up her water the thing that she was all the all the things that she was feeling that brought her there at noon all the shame and guilt she was feeling she just left it she just left it at Jesus feet she left it at Jesus feet accepted who Jesus was and went back to tell other people about him what is it that you're carrying right now What is it that's giving you anxiety? What is it that's giving you fear? What is it that's giving you discontentment? What is it that's giving you shame? What water jar do you need to leave at the well? What thing in your life do you have to just give up and give to Jesus for another time? He said, Jesus, I can't get over this sin on my own. I can't get over this anxiety on my own. I can't get over this bad relationship on my own. I can't figure this out. I can't figure my kids out on my relationship. I can't make myself get more money and make myself happy that way. What is it the thing that you need to leave at Jesus' feet and actually repent of? What's that thing? But it doesn't end there. If we skip to verse 39, this woman goes and runs into town. and She doesn't run into town ashamed. She doesn't run into town like saying, You guys know who I am, and I'm totally discredited from this community because of my lifestyle. Like, no, she goes in saying, This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And that's the whole point of John's narrative. John throughout this whole gospel. In John 20, 31, he frames it. This is why he wrote this book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is John's purpose for the whole book. This whole story is about that. This woman goes back, not about her reputation, not about saying, man, I've been forgiven my sins, but saying, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one you should follow. This is the one who will save you. This is the one who's gonna save you and be the Messiah, the one to save you from yourself, and she goes back, and in verse 39, it tells us, this was the response, that many Samaritan from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This woman was someone that people, generally, obviously, because of the way she was coming to the well, people didn't want to listen to. And you might feel like that's you. You might feel like, man, I am not the person that God is going to use to change a city, to change Surrey, to change my community, to change the people in my townhome complex, to change the people in my apartment block, to change my landlords in my basement suite, to change the people around me, my colleagues. I'm not that person. And we get stuck in this thing and all the reasons why we wouldn't be, all the things that we don't have, all the things that we can't do. I remember I was on this, uh, at a conference in Orlando and I was in this place where I was feeling exactly that. Because I don't know uh, if you guys experienced this, when you get to stand up and speak on a stage that one of the best speakers in North America gets to speak on every single week to a group of people who listen to the best of the best, your insecurities can start to get the best of you. Okay? And no, seriously, you can think, man, these people aren't going to respect what I have to say. I'm not lightning in a bottle. I don't have the same brain or mind or reading ethic like he does. And so I'm sitting in Orlando and I was sitting with Mark and I was talking to him about this and talking to my struggle about this. Let me set the stage for you for a second. We were in a hot tub just before then. And now we're around a fire pit, so I'm half-naked, don't picture too long, dripping wet from my shorts, and I'm actually mourning the fact that I don't have the same gift that somebody else does. I'm saying, God, you're never going to use me in that way, so what am I even doing? I'm pretty insignificant. I'm feeling pretty insignificant right now. And then I'm sitting there, and I see this guy who's trying to get into the hotel. And just trying to be helpful. I take my key over. And I'm like, here, man, let me let you in. And I notice that there's something going on. Like, he's obviously upset about something. So as I'm letting him in, I say, hey, man, are you doing all right? And he starts to open up. He just lost his grandmother. They were super close. He had just moved away. He wasn't close to her. And he's having this real hard time trying to figure that out. And so I bring up my relationship with Jesus. I ask him about his history with, like, anything spiritual and sort of, like, support he has. And he says he doesn't believe in anything. I said, listen, man. Something that brings me comfort is when I pray to God and I believe he wants to comfort you in this moment. Can I pray for you? And the guy says, yeah, he doesn't know who to turn to. And so I put my hand on this guy's shoulder and I just start praying that Jesus would comfort him in that moment, that Jesus would comfort him, that Jesus would show him who he is, that the Holy spirit would do something in this moment just to bring peace to this whole situation. And the guy collapses into my arm and starts crying. Hugging this half-naked, dripping wet, full-grown man, he starts crying. You know what I heard in that moment? It felt like God was telling me, this is good too. This is good too. This is good too. Not because of what I've done or what I'm able to do, but because of who God's made me to be and what he wants to use me for. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear, man, this is good too. This woman doesn't wait and figure out every reason she can't serve or every reason she can't give or every reason she can't participate in what God's doing. She just runs and she goes back to the town and she starts telling people about Jesus. She doesn't stop herself. And what, is, what happens? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of that woman's testimony. There's a moment that you're poised with right now that God is telling you, despite your past, I'm seeking you. Despite your brokenness, I'm seeking you. Despite whatever decision you think makes you unclean or worse than everybody else, I'm seeking you. I want to pour this living water into every single crack and crevice of who you are so it gets to the lowest point and heals you. That it would forgive you that you would have new life. And then I want you to take this message of what God has done in your life and not just sit with it so that you feel better about yourself, but go and tell other people so that the whole town will be changed, so that people around you will be changed. Every single one of us. Can you just like listen to this? There's something in you. There's something God wants to do through you. You are good enough, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did, he would hang on that cross. If you were the only person in existence because that's his character and he wants you to go and tell other people about him, share the good news of who he is, allow yourself to be changed by it and be different for the rest of your life. We here, at village church. We want you to actually live and function in the gifts that God has given you. We have so many people who are doing that in so many different ways in local mission, globally, we have ones that are happening in and outside the church, but even on a Sunday, there's so many opportunities for you to get in. Now I'm going to put a slide up. It's going to show you this like just a single word you can text into us called serve. All right. This is not a trite opportunity. Because some of us can start to think, man, I don't want to just stand at the door and just say hi to people. Or I don't want to just be here at the doors and get somebody to see. Like every single step of what we do here on a Sunday is intentional for other people to come and meet Jesus. Some of you in this room who might be new, everything we do is so that you understand that you are valued and loved by a God who loves you. And we want you to be able to enter into a relationship with you. He's highly relational. Some of you have never taken that step. I want to invite you into the mission of what God is doing here at Village Church. Don't be just someone who comes and attends. Step in, like step into the mission of what God has for you. Like, let's see people come to know Jesus. Let's see the towns and lives change. What if Surrey changed, man? What if our story was that man, like the people from Village Church went out against their own reputations, talked about the goodness of who Jesus was and Surrey was changed. Wouldn't that be crazy? Does that sound a little bit idealistic to anybody else? We serve a God who pursues us and loves us and wants to change us in a way that'll change you forever and change the people around you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that the biggest question we could ask is who you are. And in this story, we get to hear so much about how you love. Every one of us is like this woman. Every one of us has made terrible mistakes. Every one of us has gone the wrong direction. Every one of us has guilt and shame at some level in our life. Sometimes we try to hide it, but we're so thankful that you are seeking us and not just a shallow, single-layer relationship, but you want to get down into the depths of everything that's wrong with us so that you can heal us. So that you can re-identify us You can say, man, you're not a sinner. You're my son. You're not a sinner. You're my daughter. And you're usable for the mission of seeing more people find that same freedom. Would you help us to live that way? Would you help us to be changed? And Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We pray it in your name. Amen.